Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Let's talk about this dude in the Bible named James. First off, you got to understand that like everyone was named James in the Bible. You got James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the son of Zebedee, James, the brother of Jesus, and everyone had nicknames to help tell them apart. You got James the Great, James the Lesser, James the Just, James the Mechanic, you get it. Anyway, we're going to focus on James, the brother of Jesus. And if you can't tell it by the name, this James was Jesus' younger brother, son of the no longer Virgin Mary and Joseph the Carpenter. Now, we don't know a whole lot about his younger days, but while my older brother was no Jesus, he was captain of the football team and the prom king. So if James was anything like me, there's a solid chance he wrote a lot of angry stuff in his journal and listened to a ton of Fallout Boy. That's how we cope. What we do know is that he and his siblings didn't really believe Jesus was the savior. And can you blame them? Big brothers think they're God's gift to the world, but no one actually believes them, right? Well, after Jesus' resurrection, though, it seems like James came around to being a follower. I guess being visited by your formerly dead half-brother will have that effect on you. But he was more than just a follower, he was a leader. James eventually was called the Bishop of Jerusalem because he was basically the first city pastor of this new growing Jesus movement. He goes on to play a huge hmm. role in deciding whether Gentiles have to follow Old Testament law to follow Jesus, and he ends up agreeing with Paul that they shouldn't have to be circumcised, which made Gentile men breathe a big sigh of relief. Eventually, James writes a book to the church, which totally went viral and is now part of the New Testament. It's called, get this, James. Paul then calls him one of the pillars of the church, and like pretty much all pillars of the church, he dies a martyr when he gets stoned. But not the Snoop Dogg kind, the murder kind. And that's James. Isn't that awesome? Man, I love that we have been in the book of James, not just because this was written by James the half-brother of Jesus, but also because James gets so practical. And today, I think, is the most practical part of the book of James. In fact, this might be the most practical sermon that you've ever heard, because today we're talking about what James calls religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. In other words, if you want to know what Christians actually believe, like if you want to know what Christians actually look like, what Christians actually do, this is it. And it's not what, you know, your aunt on Facebook thinks about Christians or what your friend thinks about Christians. He's like, this is what God thinks of Christians. It's so practical. Now, this is the way that James put it 2,000 years ago, that it's religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. But if I had to give kind of a modern-day translation of what we're going after today, I would call it this, how to not be a hypocrite. Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? Yeah, how to not be a hypocrite. Now, hold on, before you tune me out, just let's just talk together. Let's be honest, because if we're honest, there's areas of our life that are a little hypocritical, right? Like driving. Like we're a little hypocritical when we drive, right? Because you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you're like, come on, learn how to drive. But then you forget to merge till it's too late. You cut someone else off and you're like, I can't believe they didn't let me in. Like how rude. That's a little hypocritical, right? Or um, parenting. Parenting is like the definition of hypocritical. It's a lot of like do as I say, not as I do, right? Because you're, you're like talking to your kids and you're like, okay, uh, we need to go to bed early. Right? Because you're at your best when you get enough rest. And then you fast forward five hours and you're binge watching Netflix till midnight, right? And it's like, it's a little hypocritical, right? 
Now, listen, by the way, uh, pro tip for all you parents out there, don't teach your kids the word hypocrite. They will use it against you all the time, okay? So don't do it. Yeah, she's pointing at her mom. Okay, so anyways, now, it's not just driving, and it's not just parenting. If we could be honest with one another, even in our faith, come on, Christians, even in our faith, we can get a little hypocritical. We can maybe not live up to the name Christian. In fact, that's how James actually begins this talk. And he begins by describing just a few things that Christians should do. This is what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone. And by the way, the everyone is Christians. He wrote to Christians. And so he's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, here's some things that should describe you. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if you're anything like me, you look at that list and you're like, great, well, I am 043, thank you very much, because I talk a lot, uh, my wife says I don't listen, and when technology breaks down, you have never seen someone faster to become angry, right? It's like, so thanks a lot, James, apparently I am a hypocrite. Now, don't worry, because James actually goes on. Um, the next verse, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Again, it's a great day to be at church, right? Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, here's what James is saying. If we as followers of Jesus, okay, if we can just get honest with one another for just a second, okay? And by the way, if you're not a Christian, then congrats. You get to hear us have a little family conversation, okay? He's like, if you're a Christian... We can be honest with one another that maybe there's still a little junk in our lives. Here's what I mean. Um, last week, Trey talked about how when you surrender your life to Jesus, um, you don't just surrender part of your life to Jesus, right? That Jesus isn't just part of your life. Like, you surrender your whole life to Jesus. It's not just one part of your life. It's every part of your life. But come on. The moment that you surrender every part of your life to Jesus is not the moment that every part of your life looks perfect. Just ask your spouse, right? It's like, yeah, there's still a little bit of junk. In other words, it's like my life on the inside doesn't always match the label on the outside. In other words, there's a little bit of inconsistency between the way that I live and the way that I follow Jesus. Here's what I mean. It's like, you know, there's a little bit of inconsistency at your job. Right, Because you see, you look at your employees and you're like, they better not slack off, right? I pay you to do a job, not lounge around. But then you're on Facebook because, you know, it helps to break up the day a little bit with a little bit of social media. It's like, it's a little, it's a little inconsistent. Or, you know, what about, what about with your friends on social media? You see someone that's your friend that posts something that's different than what you believe, maybe doesn't align with you politically, and you go, how could they stand for that? You know? It's like, do they even care about people? I don't think they care about anyone but themselves. But then your friend calls you up and is like, hey, can you help me move? And you're like, well, I'm busy for the next year. Uh, you know, it's like, when are you moving again, right? It's like, it's a little... So a little hypocritical. What about, um, what about at home? Because you get upset with them because, well, because the house is a mess, but you haven't done the dishes in weeks. It's a, little, it's a little inconsistent, right? In other words, the life that I live doesn't always match up to the label 
on the outside. Now, now, before we go on, I just wanna be clear about something. Today is not about how to be saved, okay? Cleaning up all the moral filth doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. And when Jesus saves you, he adopts you into his family. You get to be part of the family of God, but then God begins to have honest conversations with us. And he says, hey, the life that you're living, I love you no matter what, but can we clean up some of the inconsistency? Because sometimes the life that we live doesn't always line up with the way that we follow Jesus. In other words, and you know this, hypocrisy is simply when the label doesn't match the life. And again, if we could just have an honest moment, I think we could admit that sometimes in some parts of our life, we can all be a little hypocritical. And so I've got, I've got friends that used to be leaders in the church that have now walked away from the church, and some of them even walked away from the faith because of hypocrisy, right? Do you know the number one reason that non-Christians don't want to be Christians is because of this? It's because of the hypocrisy that they see? You know, there are, there are young Christians that are walking away from church and sometimes even walking away from the faith. They're deconstructing because of the hypocrisy that they see. In fact, I ran across this quote this week by a guy named Russell Moore. It says this, We now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. See, it's why it's so important that today we talk about this. We get honest with one another, that we love Jesus. We follow Jesus. But if we're honest, there's some areas of inconsistency some areas in our lives where it's a lot of do as I say, but not as I do. Just, again, if we could be honest, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us, which is why we're talking about this today. And by the way, what we're going after, what James is going after today, isn't just um, how to change the way other people view you, although I think it will do that. Um, if you've ever felt like your faith is stale or boring or lifeless, I'm telling you what James talks about today has the potential to make your faith explode, to make it exciting. Again, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be thrilling. Not only that, I think what we're talking about today not only changes you, I think it has the potential to change the world, which is why James leans into this. So here's how he begins his conversation. This is kind of a how to not be a hypocrite 101. He says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's pretty basic, right? He's like, by the way, he doesn't say don't listen to the word. He says, no, you should listen to the word. In other words, when you gather once every seven days and you sit under the teaching of God's word, that's a really good thing. You should do that. When you spend some time with the Lord on your own and you open up scripture, that's a really good thing. It's good for you to listen. That's a great first step, but come on. That can't be where it ends. In other words, if, if all you do is listen, but you never do, well, the world's already gonna give us a name, right? And it's the name Hypocrite. So James says, come on, don't just settle for listening. You got to actually go do. And yet, for whatever reason, there's, I think for a lot of us, sometimes it's easy to slip into a definition of spiritual maturity that sounds something like this. The more Bible I can read, the more Bible I can know, the more Bible I can memorize, that makes me deep, that makes me spiritually mature. But here's what James says. James says spiritual maturity is not how much Bible we know, it's how much Bible we know. Do. How much Bible we do. 
In other words, James says listening is so good. Please make sure you're listening, but come on. It can't stop there. And then James gets kind of silly. He gives an illustration that is just ridiculous because he's like, I'm telling you, if all you do is listen, but you don't do, that's kind of silly. So he gives us this illustration. He says this. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, because come on, that's crazy, right? It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James is like, who would do that, right? Like, like, like imagine going on your first date. And you go, you know, right before you go and meet her, you like check yourself in the bathroom, you're looking in the mirror, and then as you're looking, you notice you got a big old piece of broccoli stuck in your teeth. And you see that big old piece of broccoli and you go, looks good, and then you go off to the date. It's like, who would do that? That's crazy. Now, come on, come on. You're not gonna just look at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and not do anything about it. James is like, that's crazy. And it's just as crazy, come on, it's just as crazy as when we listen, but we don't do anything. And so he uses the illustration of a mirror. And I, I, I love this illustration, in fact. And so we're just gonna break it out. And again, you're smart, you already get this. But in his illustration, what is the mirror? Well, the mirror is scripture, which means every time you gather and you listen to the teaching of God's word, what's God doing? Well, he's holding up a mirror. He's saying, I want you to look. Every time you, you know, sit down on your own, you open up scripture and you're reading scripture on your own. Well, what's God doing? Well, God's, God's holding up a mirror, right? Um, every time a friend sends you a Bible verse, what's God doing? Well, God's holding up a mirror. And come on, you already know this, but what, is a, what does a mirror do? Well, it shows you, you. By the way, it shows you who you really are, right? Like there's no filter on a mirror, you know what I mean? It's like, it shows you who you really are, like bumps, warts, bruises, and all. It's like, this is me, and I can't get upset at the mirror because it's actually showing me who I am. Well, that's what scripture does. Not only, not only that, but um, also scripture, scripture shows us progress, or the mirror shows us progress, right? If you've ever lost weight before, you know this. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, I... I look, I look different than I used to look. This is awesome. Scripture does the same thing. Scripture shows us where we've made progress. And, and this is probably the most important thing, the mirror shows us what needs to change. It's the whole reason we look at the mirror in the first place, right? So you're looking at the mirror and you're like, okay, how's is my, oh, I didn't see that piece of hair, you know? And it's like, oh, I didn't even button my shirt. What am I doing, right? It's like, you look at yourself in the mirror and then what do you do? Well, you adjust. You make sure that everything is good. Ladies, you're adjusting your makeup. You're making sure everything. And so you're like, okay, I want to make sure that everything is looking good. And that's, that's why I'm looking at the mirror. And James is saying it would be crazy if you looked at the mirror and you saw something that needs to change and then you just walked away. In other words, why even bother looking at the mirror, right? My, my, um, my, our, our oldest son, Judah, he's six years old, and Judah loves blueberries. Like, he is a blueberry guy, okay? And um, we, buy the, we buy the frozen blueberries um, because the fresh blueberry, it's like a dollar a berry right now for fresh blueberries. So it's like, ain't nobody got money for that. So anyway, so we get the, we get the frozen blueberries, and uh, the problem with the frozen blueberries is they're really messy. You know, when they thaw, it's like the juice goes everywhere and it stains. Well, anyways, there was one day that I got home from work and I saw Judah. And he had blueberry all over his face. And I was like, like I looked at him and I was like, Judah, you look crazy right now. 
you look like the Joker, buddy. It's like, come on, man. Have you? And I asked him this question. I was like, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? And he kind of laughs, and then he goes up, and he walks in the bathroom. And then he comes back, and this is what I see. <laughs> and I'm like, Judah, there's, there's still blueberry all over your face. And I, and I asked him, I was like, did you even look in the mirror? And you know what he says to me? Yeah. And I'm like, then why is your face so dirty, you know? In other words, this is what I was saying to Judah. Judah, why bother, right? Why bother going to the mirror if you aren't going to change anything? That's the whole reason that you look at yourself in the mirror. So why even bother if you're not going to change anything? And I think sometimes, come on, sometimes people look at us and they look at our lives and they find out that we're Christians. And it's a little awkward, but they're kind of asking a question like this. They're like, well, have you ever, have you ever like read the Bible? Like, have you ever like opened up, you know, the mirror of scripture? And have you ever like looked? And sometimes our answer sounds like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every morning, actually. Every morning, I just, man, I'm telling you, I open up the mirror of Scripture. It's 20 minutes. I call it my quiet time. And I'm just looking at the mirror of Scripture, and it's so good. Not only that, oh, you know what else I do? Once every seven days, I get together with a bunch of other Christians, and we just stare at the mirror for like an hour and a half. It's amazing. And then sometimes the way they respond is, well, well then why is your faith so dirty? Come on, I, I know you follow Jesus, so then, so then why is your language so dirty? Come on, I know you follow Jesus, so why was that business deal so dirty? Why is your social media so dirty? In other words, come on, if you're a follower of Jesus, why bother going to the mirror of Scripture if we're not going to change anything? And James is saying, that's why it's so crucial, it's so important that we don't just listen. We got to actually go do. And then James gets so practical about what it looks like when we don't settle for listening, but we actually go and do. But right before he tells us what to do, he actually backs up and he tells us what not to do. Okay, so here's the next verse. He says, those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Now, if you're anything like me, when I first read that verse, I was like, what? Hold on, James, 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 come on. Come back here, buddy. You're kind of losing focus. I thought we were talking about listening and doing. And then out of nowhere, you go from listening and doing to talking about Talking, you know what I mean? It's like I thought it was listening and doing. But here's what James is saying. The biggest temptation for us as followers of Jesus is to talk about our faith more than we live out our faith. And James is saying, please, 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 oh, please, don't be the kind of Christian that lives in such a way as if to say, do as I say, but not as I do. In other words, James is saying, you got to let your life Speak for itself. Your life should be doing the talking. Your actions should be doing the talking. Because if you notice that the only thing worse than a hypocrite is a hypocrite who's loud on social media. That's why I love, oh, I love what Jason said last week. Jason said, people shouldn't hear us on social media. They should feel us by the way that we serve, right? 
It's like it shouldn't just be the things that we say. It should be what we do. Because if all we do, come on, if all we do is listen to the word, if all we do is listen and then talk about the word, you know what James says? James says that kind of faith, I'm telling you, it's worthless. And then James goes, but you want to know what kind of faith is worth everything? In other words, he says this, but you want to know what kind of religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless? Well, here it is. And maybe for a lot of us, we're like filling in the blanks, you know? It's like, okay, like true religion, true faith in Jesus. Well, that's like, you know, holding firm to your convictions, right? Or it's, or it's I got to share my faith with people, or I got to make sure that I pray a lot. And all those things are really good. But here's what James says. James says, if you want to boil it down, if you want to know what it actually looks like to not just settle for listening, but to actually go do here's what it is religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world if you want to know the bottom line of what it looks like to live out your faith it's two things looking after widows and orphans in their distress and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world in other words James is saying come on it's not just what you believe it's what you do um, you're really smart. And so I know that some of you are, you're pushing against me a little bit and you're like, hold on, Steve. Sounds a lot like legalism. Sounds a lot like I got to earn my way to God. Sounds a lot like I got to do things so that God will save me. Hold on. I thought only Jesus could save you. And listen, you're a hundred percent right. Only Jesus can save you. So before you send me an angry email about how I don't understand justification by faith, just give me a second to describe what James is talking about. I'm the dad of um, three boys. It's actually three boys, six and under. So pray for us. Uh, our, our life is timeout right now. Like everything is timeout. You know, it's like every other second a kid is going into timeout or coming out of timeout. I'm going in timeout. You know what I mean? It's like timeout is everywhere in our house right now. And whenever we put our boys in timeout, when we get them out of timeout, the first question we always ask is, do you know why you're in timeout? Because I need them to know, like, bro, you didn't just randomly get here. You know what I mean? Like, something happened, and that's why you're in timeout. We have a conversation about that, and the way it normally ends, the last question I ask them is this. So, what do you need to go do? And then normally, they say something like, well, I need to clean up the mess that I made, or... I need to, you know, apologize for smacking my brother in the face, you know, and it's like, okay, good, please go do that. But here's what I'm not saying. Hey, Judah, what do you need to do to earn your way back into relationship with me? Hey, Judah, what do you need to do to make sure I don't kick you out of this house? Judah, what do you need to do to make sure you're still going to be part of this family? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. I'm his dad. He's my son. I love him no matter what. He cannot act his way out of relationship with me, and he can't act his way into relationship with me. He is part of the family no matter what. But listen, he's part of the family, which means he carries the name Walton. And there are things that Waltons do, and there are things that Waltons don't do. And because he is part of this family, that's why we need to have this conversation. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I have incredible news for you. You 
have been adopted into the family of God. You know what that means? That means the God who made the universe has invited you to call him dad. You're his kid. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you no matter what, which means you can't act your way into relationship with him. You cannot act your way out of relationship with him. Jesus died on the cross so that you would be adopted. He paid the price for your adoption papers. You're part of the family now. And then God says, but listen, you carry the name Jesus. And there are things that Jesus followers do. And there are things that Jesus followers don't do because, because you're my, like, you're my son, you're my daughter, and, and I want you to look more like your older brother, Jesus, because you're part of the family now. And so as a follower of Jesus, as someone that carries the name of Jesus, there's really two big things that I want you to do. I want you to look after widows and orphans in their distress, and I want you to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. In other words, every time God holds up the mirror of Scripture, you know what he's doing? He wants to talk with you about your care and your character. He wants to talk with you about the way you care for the vulnerable and the cleanliness of your character. Which means it's about, it's about the way you talk to your coworker and the way you talk to your wife. It's, it's the way you handle yourself on social media and it's the way you handle yourself when no one's looking. It's the way you care for the marginalized and the way you forgive your mom. God is like, come on, as a follower of Jesus, when I hold up the mirror to you, it's because I love you. It's because you're part of this family. And so I want to talk with you. I want to have a conversation with you about your care and your character, about what I'm doing in you and what I'm doing through you. I want to I want to I want to talk with you about um, things that are personal and things that are public. It's your care and your character. It's socially compassionate in your care, and it's biblically conservative in your character. And I'm inviting you to look at the mirror with me. God's saying, I'm inviting you as my son and my daughter to look into the mirror so that we can have an honest conversation. Which means every time that we gather together once every seven days and we sit under the teaching of God's word, you know what God is doing? God's holding up a mirror and he's saying, hey, I'm inviting you into a conversation about your care. Hey, I want to talk with you about your character. Every time you sit by yourself and you open up scripture and you're having a quiet time, God's holding up a mirror and he's saying, I want to talk to you about your care and I want to talk to you about your character. And so for me, I want to share with you some things that I do, like really practical things that I do every time I listen to a sermon. This is like how to listen to a sermon. I, I, um, by the way, every, once every seven days, I have the opportunity to hear the teaching of God's word from PK, from Jason Berry, and from Trey Hildebrandt. Are you kidding me? Like how blessed are we, right? That we get to hear, that's right, that we get to hear from them. And so for me, I'm on like, I'm on the front row and, and I've got my journal out and I'm like scribbling notes as fast as I can. 
And I'm scribbling notes, and here's what I'm not doing. I'm not looking at the teaching going, okay, how are they doing? Like, are they doing a good job? You know, how are they making me feel right now? You know, is this one of those, like, good sermons where I, like, feel really awesome? Or is it, like, one of the bad ones where, like, I don't really feel anything, right? I'm not, like, judging them or judging the sermon based on how it makes me feel. I'm writing down, and you know what I'm doing? I'm writing down answers to the question, okay, God, what do you want to say to me about my care? What do you want to say to me about my character? And so I'll write those things down, and then the next morning, on Monday morning, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll open up the journal again, and I'll read, I'll reread the notes that I took. Sometimes I'll even reread the verse of Scripture, and I'm asking God the same question. Okay, God, what do you want to say about my care? What needs to change about my character? Because what what's God doing? He's He's holding up a mirror. Now I I, I um. Actually, my Buford family knows this, that every, at the end of every sermon, I'll normally stand up on the stage, and when I, and when I pray for, for our people, I pray the same two things just about every week. I say, God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to go do it? Because every time I'm listening to the word, I'm, God's holding up a mirror to talk with me about my care and my character. Same thing when I'm opening up Scripture on my own. See, the first thing I do every morning is I open up Scripture. Actually, that's a lie. That's not the first thing I do. The first thing I do is I make coffee because coffee is wonderful. Despite what PK and Jason think, coffee will be in heaven, and they're going to love it. Okay, so it's just coffee is great. So after I make coffee, I, I open up Scripture, and I'm asking the same question. Okay, God. What do you want to say to me about my care? God, what do you want to say to me about my character? And there, there are times that I have um, that I've finished up a quiet time, and then I go upstairs, and the next thing I do is I apologize to my wife. Or, or I um, go upstairs and I apologize to my kids. There are times that I have a quiet time, and the very next thing that I do is I text someone, or I call someone, or I confess something. There's times that I have a quiet time, and the next thing I do is I open up my calendar, and I take something off the calendar, I put something on the calendar. There's, there's times where I finish up a quiet time, and then I open up our budget, and I'm like, all right, God, you're holding up the mirror. What do you want to say to me about the way that I care with my finances and my character with my finances? In other words, when I'm spending time with the Lord, God's holding up a mirror, and he's saying, hey, you're my son, and nothing's going to change that. Hey, I love you no matter what because of what Jesus did for you. But come on, you're part of the family. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And I want to invite you to who I've made you to be. And it's not just listening to a sermon. It's not just reading scripture on my own. It's doing what he says. So. As if we're not already uncomfortable enough, here is the uncomfortable question for the day. What has God already said that you have not already done? Because I think for a lot of us, if we could be honest, we don't need to hear another sermon or we don't need to open up scripture. We just need to do the last thing that God already said. In other words, maybe it was a, maybe it was a sermon that you heard and God invited you to apologize, but yet you just kind of resisted apologizing. Maybe it was opening up scripture on your own and God invited you to confess and yet you, 
he resisted confessing. See, this question is uncomfortable for me because I'm embarrassed to tell you the number of times that I've opened up scripture and I've read something. And in that moment, it's like the words leap off the page. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so obvious that God is saying something in that moment. And a lot of times God is inviting me to go actually do something. But whenever he invites me to do something, a lot of times it's uncomfortable. A lot of times it's difficult. It may be thrilling, but it's also really hard. And so I'm looking at that. And if I can be honest, sometimes I look at that verse and I'm like, well, quiet time done. You know what I mean? It's like, we're out of here. And I go away from the mirror and I immediately forget what I look like. And then the next time that I sit down with scripture and I open it up, I'd skip to the next chapter. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't need to reread that verse again. And I skip to the next chapter. And in those moments, it's like the words fall flat. And sometimes I've even asked, I'm like, God, God, why aren't you speaking to me? I think sometimes his answer is, well, because I've already spoken to you. But she didn't do anything. You're, you're, you're my son. I'm inviting you into a relationship where you not only look at the mirror, but you begin to change and look more and more like Jesus. So what has God invited you to do? What has God already said that you have not already done? And I'm telling you, if today you would go, God, I'm not going to settle for just listening anymore. I'm going to go no matter how difficult it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how embarrassing it is, God, I, my answer to you is yes. I'm going to go do. When you do that, you know what's going to happen? Your faith will explode. It's no longer going to be lifeless and boring and I wish something exciting would happen. It's going to be thrilling and joy-filled and it's going to be difficult. But I'm telling you, you're going to watch and all of a sudden you're going to start to change and you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and you're going, I'm not who I used to be. God is changing me. And God is not only going to change you, he's going to change the world. In fact, when you don't settle anymore for just listening and you go, I'm going to start doing, you know what God does? God is inviting you to join a legacy of Christians who have not just settled for listening, but they actually go and do, and it has changed the world. Do you know, about 200 years after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, there were two big plagues that spread through the Roman Empire. These were devastating plagues. In fact, um, to get the plague was a, was a death sentence. And so what a lot of Roman citizens would do is whenever someone in their family, okay, not a friend, not an acquaintance, someone in their family got the plague, they would kick them out of their house, lock the door, and leave them in the street. Or sometimes they would go as far as actually packing up, leaving town, and abandoning their family member, their brother, their sister, their husband, their wife, because they were so afraid of getting the plague. That's what the Roman citizens would do. That's not what Christians did. Christians would sweep the streets and find the people abandoned by their families and would sit with them and go, hey, listen, you can stay with me. Well, I mean, aren't you afraid of dying? And they would go, well, listen, my Savior already conquered death. I don't need to be afraid anymore. You can stay with me. And if I die, then I die. I get to be with Jesus. 
This happened so frequently that there began to be a reputation among Christians, so much so that a pagan emperor about a hundred years later, described what Christians were actually like. I love this quote. This is what Emperor Julian said. He said, the Christian faith has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, which was his way of talking about Christians because Jesus was from Galilee, that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. This is the legacy of Christians that didn't settle for just listening. They're going, I'm going to go do something about it. And for thousands of years, this legacy has continued. And listen, I know that we have some dirt in our past, some hypocrisy in our past. I'm not denying that. We've already talked about that. But come on, there is a legacy of Christians who have not settled for listening, but have decided to go do. It's happening today. You know, there's a 2013 study that found that uh, Christians adopted at the rate of two and a half times the rate of others. And Christians were far more likely to adopt special needs kids, older kids, and hard to place kids. That's the legacy of Christians. Not only that, did you know that uh, the majority of foster care parents are Christians? You know that Christians are more likely to donate to charity and to give blood? And listen, it's not just statistics. Again, those statistics are true. It's happening here at 12 Stone. There was a widow named Rochelle, and you cared for her. She had lost her husband, and thanks to the ministry here at 12 Stone called Widow Strong, she found a place of community and hope and healing. And then you know what God did? God held up the mirror to Rochelle and said, hey, Rochelle, I want to talk with you about the way that you care for others. Now Rochelle serves at the ministry that completely changed her life because she didn't settle for just listening. She wanted to go do. Wally and Joy, they've been serving here at 12 Stone for years. They retired, and one day God held up the mirror of Scripture and said, hey, Wally and Joy, I want to talk with you about the way that you care. And they didn't settle for just listening. They wanted to go do something about it. So you know what they did? They looked at each other and said, we're not retiring. We're repurposing. So they sold everything. They moved to Uganda, and now they are school teachers in Uganda because they didn't settle for just listening. They wanted to go do something that God had led them to do. Or what about Chris? Chris is a firefighter. He's got a busy life. He's married. He's got two kids doesn't have time for other things. Anyone, any of you that have young kids, you know we don't have time to do anything. And yet God held up the mirror of Scripture to Chris and said, hey, Chris, I want to talk with you about your character. And then, Chris, I want to talk with you about your care. And Chris didn't settle for just listening. He wanted to go do something about it. Now every Wednesday night, he volunteers as a ninth grade guy's small group leader. Because he didn't want to just listen. He wanted to go do. But what about Heather? <laughs> I got a hundred sore. What about Heather? Heather heard us talk about foster care. And God began to do something in her heart. And he held up the mirror of scripture. And he began to talk with her about care. And in the middle of the pandemic, you know what she did? She took in two foster care kids. She's had them for a year and a half. This past baby dedication at Buford, we got to dedicate those two foster care kids on stage and she stood with them because she didn't settle for just listening. She wanted to go do something about it. There are hundreds of stories. 
There's two ladies in Snellville who are fighting sex trafficking locally. There's a guy up in Brazelton who, at his, at his job, he leads a culture club, and he's already led one person to Jesus. These are 12-stoners. It's, 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 it's you not settling for listening. You want to go do something that God is calling you to do. And when you answer the question, God, I'm going to go do, you're invited to join the legacy of Christians who are literally changing the world. Now, can you imagine? Just dream with me here. What if just the people in this room went and did this? What if 12 Stone Home, what if, what if you and your 12 Stone Home just did this? What if our campuses, what if we just did this and said, you know what? Anytime God says something, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to go do it. Can you imagine how different our community would look? Like, what if God so aligned our character that non-Christians would look at us and go, listen, I don't necessarily want to be a Christian, but I hope I get to live next to one. I hope I get to work with one. I hope I get to work for one. Because I don't really know much about this Jesus guy, but I'm telling you, something special is happening with those Christians. What if, what if God aligned our care so much <laughs> that wherever a church was planted in that community, every foster care kid in that area immediately found a home? Like, like what if defects were scratching their head like, I don't get it. It's like they were there, and then one day they're not there. Now they're all placed. What on earth happened? We're actually going to talk about that over the next couple weeks of what that could look like if we actually went and did that. What if every middle school and high school student in our community had a small group leader, an adult small group leader that knew them by name and was praying for them? What if, what if every kid put up for adoption was immediately adopted by Christians? What if it wasn't two and a half times? What if it was five times, 10 times more likely? What if non-Christians got upset with Christians because they're like, stop adopting so many kids. Give us a chance. Can you imagine? What if, what if every kid that walked into our building was met with a K-12 leader that loved them, cared for them, knew them by name? What if a campus pastor stood up on stage and said, listen, y'all got to stop volunteering in K-12. We have way too many volunteers. You guys are just, man, you're knocking down the doors. Would you, would you go out in the community and do something? Can you imagine? What if every antagonist against the church was met with a warm smile and a warm cup of coffee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how different things would be? Can you imagine how different you would be? See, it can happen. It can happen. So we're gonna invite up our pastors to come pray. And the invitation for you is, well, would you come join? Would you be a part of the legacy of Christians that don't settle for just listening, but we go and we do? That whenever God holds up the mirror of Scripture and he wants to talk with us about our care or talk to us about our character, we say yes. Because when we do that, I'm telling you, it's not just going to change the way that people see us. It's going to change the way people see Jesus. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.